Hey, Pastor Scott Rambo here. Join us as we enter into our classroom for this episode and see what it truly means to be followers of Christ. So tonight we're going to talk about, there was a question that was posed. The question is, how can one feel like they are not worthless? And I'm going to preface that by saying this, in all honesty, if you are a saved, born-again believer, you should, you should not feel worthless. All the time, if you feel worthless all the time, then I'm going to say we need to, we need to talk even more. If you have moments where you don't feel like you have as much worth as you think you should, that's what we're going to address tonight. I want to talk about three things briefly. Um, this is all from a guy, his name was Albert Bandura. He was a psychologist. But if you study him, a lot of the things that he has to say, they correspond with something called social learning theory, which is basically what the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go and what? When he gets older, that is social learning theory. It's basically this, socialization, the way that we live our lives and the way we live around each other, iron sharpens iron. I know it's psychology and we think that's against God, but it's not. A lot of psychology is scientific proof that there is a God and that if you do the things that the Bible says, uh, guess what the outcome is? It's positive. They just don't want to call it what it is. It's actually of the Bible. But self-esteem, we're just going to define it right quick because self-esteem it describes your thoughts and feelings about yourself. Listen, you're supposed to be dead, Christian. Your self-esteem is determined not by you but by other people. People who have a low self-esteem they feel that way because other people have made them feel that way, right? That's what self-esteem is. It's a measurement of how you think other people look at you. And you know what? The average person's self-esteem is low because for some reason they think that everybody looks at them negatively. But Philippians 4 and 8 says we are to think on the, these things, the good things, the high things. We're supposed to think that people can see the image of God reflected in us, that we're being conformed to the image of the Son of God. That's what they should see not this man that's ball-headed and overweight and all the things that are terrible about me, but that they can see the image of the sun. That's what we're supposed to be reaching for, striving for. Tonight we're talking about self-worth, which is it's a broader, more stable thing. What do you feel yourself that you're worth? Most people feel like they're worth more than other people think, right? That gives you a sense of who you are. You know what you can and can't do. You know your limitations. That's why Rome, Why does the Bible tell us to what? Those things that so easily beset us, we cast those things aside. That's self-worth. I know what messes me up. I know how I get in a bind, so I understand who I truly am, and I stay away from those things. What we should be worried about is something called self-efficacy. That is your belief in what you can do, what you can do. And for you and I, most people's self-efficacy is very high because although they may not think that other people think much of themselves and they don't think that they have a lot of worth, they do believe that they have the ability to do a lot of things. The awesome part about being a Christian and using this is what? What do we have the ability to do? Everything in Christ Jesus. We have the ability to do whatever it is that God has purposed in our life. That gives us worth. The purpose that we have in our life that was appointed and given by God. So as we get into the study, we're going to start. How can one feel like they are not worthless? That's the question we're trying to answer. If you feel worthless tonight, I pray that that changes. You should not feel that way. 
2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And I'm going to read these like I always do. I have them on this paper over here. And then you go back and study this. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. The, the first thing we're going to look at is, is you need to quit worrying about everything else but what God says about you. What does the Word of God say about you? And that's what we're going to address. The world means nothing. 1 John two fifteen through 17 Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. That's what I need you to see. The things of this world will pass away. You, born-again believer, filled with the Spirit of God, you will not pass away. Everything else is. That's how much God thinks you're worth is enough that he preserved you for how long? Eternity. That sounds like something that lasts for eternity sounds pretty like it's got a lot of worth. I mean, everything else, the diamonds, the precious things that we think of this, the world says it was going to melt away. The world will melt away someday in everything and it'll be replaced by something new. But you and I, we will be the only thing. Do you realize that on this earth as it is right now, you and I as born-again believers, the very spirit that lives in us will be the only thing that will remain? That makes you pretty worthy. Worthy enough that God said, you know what, I'm going to create in you something that's so perfect that it's going to last throughout everything, although I do away with everything else. That should give you a sense of self-worth that God thought that much of you. In Psalms 139, 13 and 14, For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. You were created. You were a created being. You were not an accident. How long ago was I created? That's something that we need to answer. According to this, the same God that created the universe created you. And how long ago did he even have the thought of creating you? He, he thought of creating you before there ever was anything. That's one of the things that we don't understand about God, and it took me a while to wrap my mind around it, and I still haven't. The same God who knows my beginning already knows my end. We, we think that God's thought process and what he knows is limited like ours. Ours is limited, guys. But here's the thing that's awesome. We are at this point in our life. We are saved, born-again believers sitting here together, fellowshipping and learning about God's Word. But in reality, in, in the reality of what is real, we are either in heaven or hell in the story of our life. It's already done. God knows my end. He didn't start this thing before He created earth. He knew that every one of us, we're going to see that here in a minute, he knew that you, Ethan McNeely, were going to be created. He knew you were going to be born February the 17th of 2000 before he ever laid the foundations of the earth. He knew that. He knew that you were going to be chosen, that your soul would be saved, and that you would spend eternity with him because his chief thing is to have a bride for his son. He has not left this to chance. 
His son is not going to look foolish on that day because there will be a bride. And that bride will be perfect, just as the Bible says. And guess who was chosen to be that bride? You were. You were chosen out of billions of people that have been born. You, believer, were chosen to be one that is going to be the bride of Christ, the bride of the Son of God. I, I can't imagine anything that would be more important than that or give me more worth because you know what the Word says? Many are called, but few are chosen, which tells me that of all those that are called, that are given the, the opportunity to respond to the call of the Word of God, John 1 and 9, everyone is, the light is revealed to everyone, however that is. Romans chapter 1, 19, 20, even creation tells us that what? There is a God. There's a Creator. Those that reject Him, they have rejected the greatest thing ever and the only thing that makes their life worthwhile is salvation in Christ Jesus and eternal life. That gives you worth. There's no dollar value that you can place on your life in Christ. There's none. There's nothing any greater than that. And that's why he talks about the world and the lust of the world and the pride of life and the things of the world. We are, we're too busy worrying about what the world thinks about us. I don't worry about what an unsaved, unbelieving individual thinks about me, right? My focus is supposed to stay on Christ Jesus and what God says about me. Don't take my focus off the prize, as they say. Genesis 1 and 26, guys, not only created, but you were created in their image. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all crawling things that crawls on the earth. So guess what? Not only were you created in the image of God and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because they were all together, right? He possessed me. We can go to Psalms chapter 8, verse 22. He possessed me before his works of old. What are God's works of old? Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning God created. So we can look at that and we can say that before even that, Matt McNeely was on the mind of God. He already knew what my name was going to be. He knew everything about me. He even, we've said this several times, he even factored my stupidity into this whole process because he knew everything I was going to do. That's how much he felt that I was worth. Not me, but me in his son, in Christ Jesus. Understand, my worth is only valuable whenever it's the blood of Jesus Christ that's shed in my life. Y'all, my life has no worth. My life has no value apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is Adam, and in John 15, he says what? If you stay connected to the vine, nothing is impossible. But if you do not stay connected to the vine, your life is literally useless. It's useless to God. So we say, but we look at Balaam. Here's the sad part is, you're going to do what God wills you to do, whether you're his or not. And people don't think that, but it's the truth. We can go back in the Old Testament and look through the whole. God uses whatever means he needs to exact his revenge, to do whatever it is that he needs to do. Why would you not want to be a worthy vessel? Because he's seen the worth of his son's life in you to use you as an instrument of righteousness. We don't see ourselves as an instrument of righteousness. We are, see ourselves as a flesh bag, as they say. We see ourselves as a skin that's filled with the Spirit. But it's, it's not that way. You, you're, not, you're not a fleshly being anymore. You are now spiritual. Your worth is in the spiritual life that you have. 
You're a spirit that just happens to be stuck in a body because your home is somewhere else. And that spirit is the one, it wants to go to that home. Why do you live your life the way you do? You don't live your life the way you do because you're in your flesh. Your flesh would not have you here. Those of you who have worked today, you've had a long day. You would be at home eating, watching TV, your legs kicked up, lay back in your recliner because that's your flesh. Your spirit is what has you here. The worth that you have is in the spirit of God and in the blood that was shed by Christ. That's your worth. It's not you. It's what you've received. Let's, let's understand that. So how much are we worth to God? We'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, For you have been bought for a price, therefore for glory got filed God in your body. You've been bought with a price. He thought enough of you that you were worth the price of what? 1 Peter 2 and 4. And coming to him as to a living stone which had been rejected by the people, but is a choice and precious in the sight of God. His son, y'all. His son was the price. But I want you to look at 1 Peter 2 and 4, and I want you to think about the world. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by the people. Do you expect the people of the world to accept you, to treat you as though you're worth something, and that you have worth? Whenever Jesus Christ came to his own and his own rejected him? Yeah, we're no different. That's why he says it's not just, I want the goodness of God. But the verse doesn't just say that, doesn't it? It says also the fellowship of his sufferings. We are no better than our master. And our master died and suffered so that you and I could be his slaves. We are slaves to a master. Thank God we are. Because the master that we were slaves to before was sin and the grave death, hell, that was all we had. The worth that you have in your life now is an eternal life in Christ Jesus. The world thinks that worth is in money, but it's in riches, it's in things, but what does the Bible tell us? Where do we lay up our treasures? Definitely not here on earth, but in heaven, where moth doesn't eat it and the rust doesn't destroy it. Do you see that? I know these verses are not on here, but this is the Word of God. This is how it works seamlessly, Right? This is what happens in the life of a child of God when they know their worth, when they study their word of God, when they understand what it is that God says, I value you. You are worth something because I sent my son to die for you. I placed my very spirit in you, and now I need you to be a reflection. When we feel as though we're worthless, we're no good to God. God does not use things that are worthless. Who was worthless before they were saved? I was the worst, guys. I look back on that. My life has worth now because I have life in Christ Jesus. That should make you happy. That's an amazing thing that only who can do that? Only God can perform, as the Bible says, the circumcision of the heart. And God does that through the Spirit. His Son praying to the Father to send the Spirit to us in John 14. And we are gloriously saved, born again, renewed. And we're given worth. We're actually of value to the only thing that matters, which is what? The kingdom of God. Our point here is to glorify God and to forward his kingdom. You cannot think you are worthless and do that. It's an impossibility. You have to know your value in Christ Jesus in order to walk in the spirit of God. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but what? 
You're worthy. You're worth something. Were you worthy of the sacrifice? No, most certainly not. We all deserved hell. But you cannot go around now as though you're worthless because you're not any longer. You have value in the kingdom of God, and that's the only value that matters. Next, we'll go to first, uh, Isaiah 53 and 5. He was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Love this verse. Don't like the fact that people use it wrongly. He was killed, crucified, and beaten to heal my sin. <laughs> He's not going to heal everything. If, if, if his whole purpose of dying was to heal everything, then no one would ever die again. No one that was his would ever die because it says right there, the fact that he died, the fact that these things happened, that I would be healed. It's not a physical healing, guys. When he heals us physically, that is his mercy. Thank God that he does what he does. He healed your sin sickness and gave you value because the wages of what you had before was what? Death. Is a dead body valuable for anything? Most certainly not. Even those that we love. It's taken me a while as I've gotten older. There's nothing there. Thank God, those that we know that are gone, they are where they're meant to be. They are in their heavenly home. The valuable thing that made them worth anything is with their Father. What's left is what eventually we'll get to shed. And my goodness, what will it be like to be in the presence of God and, and truly for the first time understand your worth to Him? Look, until you're in the presence of the Father, when you get there and you understand who he is and his glory and what he's done, you will understand how valuable you are as his child then. I don't think I'll ever understand it until I'm before him, that he would do the things and go through what he did to kill his own son so that I, Matt McNeely, might have everlasting life and not eternal torment. I can't understand that right now, y'all. But I promise you, with all my heart, when I get there and it's all revealed to me, I think I'm going to be so overwhelmed with with everything that it's just how can you not glorify God in that moment he's going to have to wipe the tear away because if you're not crying because you realize the life that the times that you wasted in him then you're not going to be able to stop crying because you realize his goodness and what he's done for you either way that's why he's got to wipe the tear away nobody's going to go there and be stoic and just show up and go this is awesome this is this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Thank you, Lord. Where's my mansion? That is not going to happen. The, the, oh, it's going to be amazing. I, I can't even fathom it. Like, there's no words to express it. That's why when these people say they died and they went to heaven and then they came back, I will never believe that ever. I'll never believe that God would give an individual a glimpse of glory in eternity and draw them back because you would never be able to be happy here ever again. There's no way you could go to heaven and see all of that and see it even for a minute, for a moment, and then tell me that you could come back here and live a life and be happy. I don't believe that, not one bit, not one bit. Luke 12, 6 through 7, are five sparrows not sold for two Assyria? And yet not one of them has gone unnoticed in the sight of God, but even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not fear, you are more valuable than a great number of sparrows. You have great value. The thing is, and I like that, when Jesus, it just depends on which one you're, you're reading because there's more than one account of that, right? But he's telling you not to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to, what is the Son of Man doesn't have a home. 
He don't even have a foxhole. Like, he has nothing. But who supplied his need every time? Because he had worth, right? He had worth, and the Lord God supplied everything that Christ needed while he was here. Guys, we're, we're worth more than some sparrows, <laughs> way more. says he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's easier for him, for me, than it is for my wife, but it doesn't matter, right? He, he knows everything. He knows the intent of your heart, which is the most important thing tonight. He knows the intent of your heart. Everything you say, everything you do, that should make you live your life in a different way. The reason you say things, the reason you do things, the reason you don't say and do things. He knows that, and that's important. Then we move on. God believes you are worthy of having a purposeful life. This is, this, these verses amaze me. Uh, the book of Jeremiah is something else, especially in the very beginning, because Jeremiah, whenever he tells him, look, I'm too young and I can't, the Lord basically tells Jeremiah this, you will either do what I've called you to do because I've called you to do it, or I will kill you in front of everyone and I will show them that the God of Israel is real. But one way or the other, you are going to be used. You can either be used as an instrument for my righteousness or you can be used as an instrument for me to show people that I am God. But one way or the other, you're going to serve me and you're going to do. But why did he tell him that? And we, we know why Jeremiah did what the Lord said because we know that that's a fact. If the Lord spoke to me and told me that I need to go out there and dig a hole 15 by 15 and 5 feet deep, I'm going to kill myself doing it because I'm going to do what God told me to. Thankfully, he don't ask for stuff like that because there's no purpose to it. But in Jeremiah 29, 11, y'all, we know this by heart, right, everybody? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And when did he... Here's the question, because I ask myself that when I hear that. When did he decide all that? Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I ever you were ever placed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Oh, we're getting into some dangerous territory, because now we're getting into some stuff that people don't like to talk about, like predestination and such as that. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He didn't say that I left it up to happenstance. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, here's what I did was I said that I wanted you to be a prophet, but I'm going to give you the option. I'm going to give you the option. That's not what he said. And I'm not saying right now that Jeremiah couldn't have said no to God, but if he did, he would be dead. We would, that's where the story would have ended. God would have crushed him, destroyed him, and there would have been another prophet. But that is not how this went. Read it again. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, to know you is the way, when you define these no's, it is to know someone intimately like a husband knows a wife. It's the most intimate knowledge of another individual that you can have this side of heaven. I know things about my wife and understand things about her that I pray no one else ever does because that means I'm either dead or she has gone astray, right? That's the way this works. That's the way it is between man and God. I love in the New Testament whenever it says there's going to be a day when you will, you, will be, you will know as you are known. One day we will know him as we are truly known. Y'all, he knows everything about us. The scariest thing, I said it earlier, and I always try to say it in a positive light because it really does. You want to talk about tremble and fear. and He knows the intent of Matt McNeely's heart. Even whenever, if I'm giving lip service, if I'm doing things for show, 
if I'm humble bragging, he knows that. That's why you must be sincere all the time because God knows the truth. You're not hiding it from him. That should, that should scare you into at least trying not to lie as much as you do, just being honest, uh, be a little bit kinder, be led by the Spirit of God and not by your flesh. So here's the thing about Jeremiah 1 and 5 and 1 Peter 2 and 9. I want to read Jeremiah again, then we're going to read that. Because you were chosen before the earth was ever formed, according to this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You were already planned. Your name, your everything. Your outcome. God knew your outcome whenever he formed you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and have appointed you a prophet. Before you were born, God consecrated you. If God did not consecrate you, if God did not give you a measure of faith, you would have never come to believe in him. A dead man does not have a thought. A dead man, it says you are dead in your trespasses and sin. A dead man cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unless, what does the word say? God is drawing a man. But you have got to have a measure of faith before you can ever even believe on Christ. That's why 1 John 1 and 12 says, To those who believed, he also gave the power to become the sons of God. Because it first begins with enough, a measure of faith. Ephesians, it says that we were all given the same measure of faith. What was that measure of faith? The measure of faith to believe that there is a Christ so that we could become the sons and the daughters of God. Because without that measure of faith, there's no way you would, nobody would ever choose God. Because we're dead. There's nothing that would drive us to do that. So look in, look in 1 Peter 2 and 9. It says several things. It says you are a chosen people. You are consecrated. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Who owns you? God does. It's God's own possession. You belong to the Lord. That's why he can confidently say nothing can take you away. When he talks about the things of this world that can't take you away, if he says, if I own you, no man can pluck you from my hands. Is any man stronger than God? Most certainly not. There is Brother Gene cannot decide that he thinks that I should not be saved, and he tells God, and God says, okay, Brother Gene, you can have him. That's not how this works. Thank God that's not our God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever as we know. It says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, what we're transitioning into here is, is seeing what your worth is to the kingdom of God, because that's your true worth. The true worth of a saved, born-again believer is what? What is our life supposed to be? Glorifying God. That's what the Word says. What was the whole purpose you were born? To glorify God. When you go to heaven, do you think that you're just going to do what you want every day, all day? You're going to glorify God. Read Revelation over and over. What do you see the people doing? They're not fishing. They're not hunting. I love those things. They are worshiping God. It says day and night. Now, it doesn't always say exactly what that looks like. But it does say that heaven sets down on the new earth, and they explains how big it is, 1,500 miles square. There's 12 gates. Each one is one pearl. They're huge. The foundations of heaven, we see the 12 names of the apostles, right? But we notice something about that. This new heaven has sat down on the earth, the new earth. But the gates are open all the time. We're not, it doesn't say we're locked in and we're closed in and we can't go anywhere. You get where I'm coming from. So, but understand that when you get there, your purpose is still to glorify God. 
It's not like, hey, I made it, thank you, Lord, and then you get to live eternity. No, you're going to glorify God with your life, and that's what we should be doing here. What gives you great worth to the kingdom of God is that since you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that are His possession, that you're, you're proclaiming that to other people. You're forwarding the gospel, which forwards the kingdom. How does that look most of the time? It's the life I live. I mean, we've, we've said that over and over, and we keep reiterating that. It's not the words I speak. It's the life I live before men. Because most people, I wish, this is what I wish. I wish that every single person that I knew that has rejected the gospel had the opportunity to reject the true Jesus Christ. Because do y'all realize how many people have rejected Jesus and they've never even been shown the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Think about that for a minute. Because most of what you see out there is fake. So they have rejected a gospel in a Jesus, but they've never had the opportunity to reject the true Jesus Christ and his good news. Is that you? Is that you? That's the question we have to ask ourselves in this moment. Am I one of those that people will never get to know the true Jesus and be able to reject him? What a sad thing. What a sad thing to never be able to know the truth and to reject something that's false, never having known what really good news is. The good news is, as Ethan, when he's on the college campus, it's not holding up a sign saying, if you're a homosexual or you're all these things, you're going to go to hell. That's not the good news. That's the reality of the Word of God. But the good news is, is there's another way to live your life. There is a Savior who will forgive you for everything that knows the value and worth that you have wants to fill you with His Spirit, wants to bring you to a newness of life, wants to give you a purpose in your life. That's, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You no longer have to live this way. You do not have to die and go to hell. You do not have to be in eternal damnation. That's the good news. But you see, here's the problem. We like to start with what you're doing wrong instead of explaining that there's a better way. Let's talk about the better way. Let's talk about what's worthwhile. Let's talk about the worth that you have once you have a life in Christ. If you have a life in Christ right now, that worth is yours. But you're supposed to be sharing it with others. Romans 8, 29 through 31, this is where we get into that. Your outcome has a definite ending in Christ. Did you see how I ended that? I did not say your outcome had a definite ending. I said it has a definite ending in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you will not go to heaven. Galatians 5, 19, we can read what? All these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you think that you're saved and born again and you can look at any of those and you habitually sin, you are not going to go to heaven. They do not enter into the kingdom. He doesn't change that just because you're a certain person or because one time long ago you had a moment that you think that someone told you that you accepted God and so then that's enough. It's not an experience, it's a lifestyle. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ is not an experience. He is a lifestyle. If all you ever did was to have an experience with God and you never lived it out, you never truly had an experience. These people in the Bible that we see that had an experience with the Lord, what happened after that? Because let's be honest. You talk about somebody's worth. Let's look at the disciples. They were not very worth, they were worth very little. The jobs they had, some of them, even a tax collector, made them worth less in the eyes of God's people. But then you have fishermen. I can assure you, I've, my dad, we've fished before. Whenever you get back from fishing and you got your white 
Cajun Reeboks on, and you're covered in fish and everything, and you walk in a store to get something to eat, there is nobody in there that thinks you're worth very much. Let's be honest. How do you feel about shad dippers when you see them? Most people look down on those people. They have worth. You know why they have worth? Because God says they have worth, right? He saw something in them that made them worthwhile. He saw the same thing in you and I. You, are, you have worth. So for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Do you see that? We learned earlier, who did he foreknow? Here's the deal, guys. God knew everybody. God knew everybody. And the word of God says that everyone will have the opportunity to come to know the truth of the son of God. The only unforgivable sin is to what? Deny the Holy Ghost. It's to deny that there is one. You have to know that there is one before you can deny it. You can't deny something you don't know. I've said this about a speed limit. Uh, you can't give me a ticket on a stretch of road that never has a speed limit sign on it. Not ideally, but we talked about this also. Because we're older and we know what is the speed limit on a parish road? 35. What is the speed limit on an unmarked state road? 45. We know that from experience, right? So you're not always, you're not always to where you have an excuse, in other words. So he says, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and these whom he justified he also glorified. So what is your worth? Your worth is, is that God justified you just as if you never sinned. You can't do that for yourself. He also glorified you, which glorified means I'm going to be in heaven. I can't, I cannot get into heaven on my own merit. But as we've noted several times, what happens in between is the process of sanctification. There's a lot that goes on in there, right? And you're filled with the Spirit of God. You can hinder that. Don't quench the Spirit. It tells us over and over. There's worth in that work in the middle. There's a lot of worth because what is God doing? He's working those things out. It says He's refining us. He's refining us just like we're in a, we're in a fire and we're being, he's taking the dross off the top. There's worth in even that. So why I'm saying this is this. When you find yourself where you don't feel like you have a lot of worth in Christ because you're at a low point in your life, you're definitely wrong. You're definitely wrong because chances are, nine times out of ten, if you can look around and you're not in, you're not in a state of sin, you know you're unrepentant and you can't think of anything, God is refining you in that moment. He's working something out of your life to make you more worthy for the kingdom of God. We don't look at it like that, but it says that even in those times whenever we're struggling, we should see the good side to the struggle because he's working something out either out of my life or he's given me an experience that I'm going to share with another believer. Guys, the stuff that we've gone through in our life, me and my wife, we have a wealth of knowledge and understanding about a lot of specific things that other people just don't know. And now those can be used to help others who God brings in. We've al it's already happened, right? The things that you overcome, if you overcame an addiction, you have something now. I've never had a heart attack, but there's people who have. I can't tell you what that's like, but someone else can. And when they pray for you, I promise you this, their prayer for you is different than mine because they've experienced it personally. When you experience something personally, it changes the way you pray about something. And you have insight in how to pray 
about that differently than I would because you know everything about it. There's worth in that. Do you see that? Even in the worst parts of your life, there's worth. For the kingdom, there's worth. John 10 and 10. We're switching again now. How do we overcome feelings of low, no self-worth? John 10 and 10. You must not give place to Satan. And I'm telling you now, that's your fault. That is your fault. If you give place to Satan, you did that. John 10, 10, the thief, come, the thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it more abundantly. If you are in a place of that, then you are in the grip of Satan. And that is going to be, you're going to see, that is 100% your fault. Because in Colossians 2 and 15, I didn't say that things wouldn't come against you. I didn't say bad things would happen. But even in the midst of that, if you feel condemnation and you feel worthless, that is not Christ. Right? There is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what we learned. We talked about this a while back. You feel conviction. The wages of sin is death, but the wages of sin for you and I is conviction. We get convicted. We don't get condemned. The Spirit of God does not condemn a person that's filled with the Spirit of God. It convicts you and leads you to repentance. We were condemned in the world. Satan and the world, sin is condemnation. For you and I, that is conviction now. It is a different thing. If you feel condemned, guys, something's wrong. You should never feel condemned. You belong. You're a child of God. He will chasten you so that you're not illegitimate, as he says. Yes, you're going to suffer, but you should never feel condemned. If you do, then the focus is on the wrong thing. When In Colossians 2 and 15, when he had disarmed, this is Jesus Christ, when Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, right? Principalities, rulers of the air, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, what do we see? The same thing. We're looking at these. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but what? Mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. This is who we're talking about. Two instances that we talk about fighting spiritual warfare. And Colossians 2 and 15 tells us that, that Jesus Christ made a public display of them and he triumphed over them. Listen, when, you, when he, in Ephesians chapter 4, whenever it says he descended before he ascended, when he went and he took the keys to the pit, when he took, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, we just, the, we just read it. When he did that, that finished that. Listen, Satan does not have control over you anymore. The biggest battle you have is with yourself. Our biggest problem is self. And here's the thing that the Word of God says. If Satan gets a foothold in our life, who gave it to him? You did. Don't give him a foothold. Turn from him. Cling to God and he will flee. This is what we're supposed to do. But you see, here's our problem. It's what the verse actually says is, it says to do what? Under the hand of mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due time. Why? Because I, because Satan has got a hold of me. Who gave him that grip? Me. I gave him the foothold. But I've got to humble myself enough to realize that I've got to go to God and ask for his help. You can't handle that kind of thing on your own. And that's a lot of the times when we get in a place where we feel worthless because, listen, at that moment, your worth to the kingdom of God it's not very high. What can you do? If, you're in, if you are defeated, if you are defeated right now, what do you have? What worth do you have to the kingdom? Because you're, you're like under the juniper tree, right? 
Elijah, he's there. But, but even in that, and we've talked about this quite a bit, even in that, let's remember something. Did God kill him, destroy him, crush him, or did he scold him? No, he did the exact opposite. He did what you and I should do for each, and o- each other. He sent an angel to him, and he talked to him, and he gave him something to eat, and he told him to go to sleep and rest. Because God knew him before he formed him in his mother's womb. He had a plan for him and he had an outcome for him. And he knew that. Right? So then he woke him up again because God knew what was about to happen. Listen, God knows your worth and he knows what's about to happen in your life. He said, get up again and eat because you've got to go 40 days on this. Sometimes you're going to have your 40 days. It's going to feel like a long time. You're not going to feel worth it. But you can't focus on that. You've got to focus on what God did for you and know that He's going to carry you through to the next time. You have worth in Christ. He did not lead you here to destroy you. Is that not what the Word says? Stop feeling like you're worthless. It's not helping you. It's not helping the kingdom. It's destroying who you are as a Christian. The last, this, this is the last bunch. Luke 9 and 23 You must deny yourself and focus on Christ. In those moments, stop worrying about self. Stop worrying about how other people think about you. Remember, you're dead. You are dead. And he was saying to them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Quit worrying about what your coworkers think. Quit worrying about what the world thinks about what you should look like, what you should make an hour, where you should be, what religion you should be, because religion is of the devil anyway. Don't worry about none of that. You focus on one thing. You focus on waking up every morning, denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ. Quit worrying about anything else. You want to talk about having a laser focus? You want to have tunnel vision? Have it on Christ. They say don't have tunnel vision. Well, let me tell you, if, you, if, you, if we were able to focus on Christ as we should and we filtered everything that we saw through, through that, it would change our lives radically, guys. It wouldn't mind. But, I mean, that's just who we are, sadly. Colossians 3 and 3, have you truly died? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Is that true? When you find yourself there, is that true? You've got to answer that in that moment. Don't forget that verse. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not your life anymore. It's not supposed to be. Dead men don't have affections. Dead men don't have passions, and dead men don't make decisions. And they surely don't get their feelings hurt. Dead men don't. But people who are alive, they do. And that's the bad thing. Because our, our flesh likes to live, sadly. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It is your responsibility and reasonable expectation to obey. So how do we overcome this? Just obey the Word of God. Understand who you are. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Do you do that every morning when you wake up? Do you truly do that? First step of the day. When I do this, then I have the ability now to do what? Ephesians chapter 6. I can put on the full armor of God. I've humbled myself before God. I understand who I am. I understand my place in this kingdom. I understand my worth to Him as one who is going to serve Him that day as a holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, it's a reasonable expectation for the God who saved your soul and gave you actual worth in this life for you to serve Him every day. It's not an unreasonable thing. I love the way that says that. Why would that... Your, your, your boss gives you a wage every day. 
Do you think it's unreasonable that they ask you to work for the wage that you have? Do you realize the wage that you have now is eternal life? Your old wage was death. Your new wage is eternal life in Christ. I think that's pretty reasonable, you know. Also considering that it's going to help me through my day and make me a better person and a better image. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop thinking like you did when you were unsaved. Stop worrying about what the world's thinking about your worth. So that you may prove that what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're in your mindset that you're worthless, you cannot prove the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect because you're looking through the wrong lens. You're not worthless. The last one, 2 Corinthians 17, 5, 17 through 20. The word reconciled means restoration, renewed favor between. This right here, of all the things that I've said, I'm going to be honest with you, should be the reason that you understand how worthy you are through Christ Jesus is this one right here because you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The Word of God says that the things that you and I know now are the things that the prophets and those of old loved, would have loved to know. Not only them, but who else? The prophets and the angels. They desire to know the things that you right now, Jenike, you know it right now, and the prophets that died and the angels in heaven have to wait to know those things. That's what you and I know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's where everybody stops. Because that is a pretty powerful thing, right? That means everything has been made new. We're a new creation. We shouldn't think. We shouldn't do like we did. Does everybody agree with that? Everything. Behold. Look. Observe. All things have become new. And that's where everyone stops. But there's more, just as much power more. Now, all these things are from God. Okay, so you're talking about all these new things that have come are from who? Just said it's from God. And those things sound like they're worth something. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what every single person who has been saved, born again, has received. The ability to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through the life that you live every day when it's in Christ Jesus. If you don't think that makes you worth something, then you don't understand the good news of the gospel. The very gospel, Brother, Brother Scott did this great whenever he was doing the reciprocal, the seed and the sower. Remember that? He preached it for a while. What happens? Someone sows. We're the seed. We sprout up. And then what do we become? A sower. It's a, it's a cycle. Try and look at this whole. Look, look at all of what we've heard preached in Mark. Look at all the things that we're studying and see everything of the Word of God. So he says Christ, Christ himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Oh, wait a minute. Did that just say God was in Christ while he was on the earth? Do you see how when you read the Word of God and you study it, you can find out that oneness Pentecostal is not right? That there's things that Catholicism says that's not right? That's why we study expositionally and we preach the whole Word and all the pieces of the Word because there's truth in all the Word. Does it say that there's just parts of the Word that's good for teaching? All of it. Not counting their wrongdoings against them. 
because God was in Christ while he was here as a man, and he reconciled you and I to himself through the death of his son, now our wrongdoing is not counted against us. Our sins have been as far as the east is from the west. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now listen to me. When he commits something, when I made a commitment to my wife, that was meaningful. It was a pledge. It was a, what word would we use? We're, we're studying that now. Contract. It was a contract. I signed a contract with my, with my wife that I would be faithful to my wife. I would do all the things those vows said, right? Let's, let's think back to whenever we used to be under an old dispensation of time, and then there was a time whenever God sent Nathan to David. And what did he tell him? I'm going to create, there's going to be one that comes from you. And we call that a covenant, the Davidic covenant. Without the Davidic covenant, David would have been killed, destroyed, and there would have never been a lineage because he said, but here's what I'm going to do. Because I love my people and because I'm going to make a promise and a commitment now that I will never again do what I did to who? Who did he destroy before? Samuel and Saul, right? Remember what happened to Saul? He said, I'm never going to do that. Whenever a man sins, I'm not going to cut off this lineage, this kingdom. I'm going to keep it running. 2 Samuel 7, I believe, is where you can find it. He says, I'm going to keep it running because eventually the lineage is going to lead to Christ, the one who is going to save us all. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation, and that reconciliation is restoration. What are we sent out to restore? The actual relationship that was between God and man before the fall in the garden. That's the job that you and I have. Do you think that God, who created the whole universe, would give something like that to a worthless vessel? I do not believe that. I cannot believe that. So having said all the things that we did, end them with that verse. You, you must see the worth that you have to, this, to the Father. You're, you're worth so much to the kingdom the value that you have is so much that he gave you the mystery of his word and he gave you, committed to you, his word so that others might come to know Christ and be saved. We all know it's very simple. Why did God choose to use us as instruments? We'll know one day. But if, if you say that you know now, then I'm going to call you a liar. Because there's no reason that God should have used something like this when I know that this same God could snap his fingers and change and destroy all matter that there is because one day he says he will. He spoke everything into existence. He spoke your life into existence before there ever was anything. Please, please, when you leave here today, if you're listening to this, if you have ever felt like your life is worthless or you are not worth anything, if you are unsaved, you are 100% right. If you are an unsaved person right now, you are the most worthless piece of garbage that there ever is. Because all you can do is bad. All you can do is, is work for the wrong side. But listen, if you are a child of God, bought by the blood, you are a believer and you are filled with His Spirit, there is absolutely nothing in this world that's worth more than the blood of Jesus Christ and that which you have been given to forward the kingdom of God through the gospel of the one who died for you. It's an impossibility. To, you can't put a price on that. But here's the thing. This is the end, the end all. 
whenever God looked at you, he thought that you were worth the price of his son. Now, if God, if, if Jesus Christ is truly your Savior, not just your Savior, but what pastor? Your master. He can't just be your Savior without being your master. He's got to be your Lord. That's what master. Your Lord is a master. If he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. They're synonymous with each other. But if that is true, guys, you have the most you have you're the most worthy thing there is. You have what did what did Peter tell Jesus? We're not going anywhere because you have the words of eternal life. You have eternal life today, believer. Not everybody gets that. Other people get eternal life that's in a what? A negative form. Everybody lives for eternity. Your eternal life is in heaven. The other eternal life is going to be forever in damnation. That's, that's worth a lot. That's worth an awful lot. So if you would, bow your heads and then we'll take questions. Father, I thank you again for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's seamless, God, that each and every part of it is, is good and it's worth so much more than we'll ever understand until we can finally stand in your presence. God, I pray that you would be in our community, that you would speak through people, God, that you would move in the lives. That, Father, if there be one that needs to be saved, God, that if this be the place that you're drawing them, Lord, that we would welcome them with open arms. Father, that we will stay prayed up, God, that we'll be in the Word, that we'll be mindful, that the Spirit can lead us in the places that we need to go in our daily life. Father, I pray for the heartache that's even in this room now, God, the pains in their bodies, the things that they're up against. Father, we know that we are worthy. We have worth as long as we're in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the most valuable thing ever, and that's why that was the only thing that could purge the sin from our lives and from this world. I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for this night and for each one who's here. It's in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Thank you for being in class with us today. Tune in next week as we dive back into God's Word and learn more of Him.